So, uh, scripture reading this morning is uh, from the same series that John has been preaching on 1 Corinthians, and today we're up to 1 Corinthians 9, where it says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord Brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we do not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I'm not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. For I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I'm compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntary, I have a reward. If not voluntary, I am simply discharging the truth committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this that in preaching the gospel I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. For those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Although I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not get a crown that will not, sorry, they do, do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So far to read. Thank you, John. Well, uh, <clears throat> one way to get to know people, particularly people uh, who perhaps aren't around anymore, is to seek to walk in their footsteps. So for a while now, it's been somewhat popular to go to the Kokoda Trail and walk the Kokoda Trail, to walk and experience the conditions that the Australian and Japanese soldiers experienced uh, over there in PNG. I'm not entirely sure why you might like to do that. I mean, it's muddy and hot and hot and hot and hot and there's lots of insects. Uh, and yet... I. I suppose if you went and did that, you would have a deeper, far deeper appreciation of the men who fought there, of their bravery, of their sacrifice, of their sorrow and hardship and fear, just by walking in their footsteps. I suppose those, no, it's not something I've done, but those who have gone uh, on a, one of the tours to Israel or to Turkey, uh, which is where Corinth and so on is. Well, that's in Greece, actually. But that, that sort of area where Paul was ministering, I'm sure those people who have gone there and kind of walked in the footsteps of Jesus and the disciples and, and Paul and so on have a, a, a greater sense in some ways of what, that's, what their life was like, what it was like to be around in those times. Well, Paul is talking here about walking in Jesus' footsteps, He's not talking about visiting where Jesus lived or anything like that. But he is talking about walking in Jesus' footsteps. And he's talking about that as a way of coming to know Christ. We're going to see that that's what we mean by, that, what Paul means by, that I may share in the blessings of the gospel. He doesn't mean, he's not saying, I hope that I, I get saved. I hope I get forgiven. He is talking about coming to know Christ more and more deeply as he walks in the footsteps of Christ. And so that's what we want to think about this morning. We'll have to kind of do a little bit of work to get there because uh, Paul, uh, Paul kind of is doing a fair bit of work to get there himself. But as we do, I hope that we will see the, the wonder of coming to know our Saviour more deeply as we walk as he walked. 
Well, if you were here with us last week, you will have know, you know that we started uh, looking at this topic that Paul raises there of what are Christians to do about food sacrificed to idols. And the conclusion he reaches at the end of chapter 8 at least, he's going to talk about it more over in chapter 10. Uh, so this is kind of part of that. Uh, the conclusion he reaches in chapter 8 is, if there are believers in the church who have come out of idolatry and are tempted to go back into idolatry, then for their sake, though I could eat that meat, because food is just food, uh, though I could, I won't, so that I won't tempt them to fall back into idolatry. That, that's his line. And so he's been talking there about his freedom, his rights, if you like, but also what he does with his freedom. And that's the, that's the thread, if you like, that joins uh, chapter 8 to chapter 9. And so he starts with, am I not free? But he quickly then goes on to, am I not an apostle? Which seems to come out of the blue a little. And verse 3 tells you why he's bringing that up. This is my defense to those who sit on judgment, in judgment on me. It seems that there are Corinthian, people in the Corinthian church who thought Paul was an apostle, or at least were accusing him of not being a real apostle. And so he says in those first few verses there, well, yes, I am an apostle. You know I'm an apostle because I've seen the Lord. That seems to be a prerequisite for being an apostle, that you've seen Jesus and Paul had on the road to, uh, um, wherever it was, Damascus, thank you. Uh, suddenly mental blank. Um, the road to Damascus. And, and it seems actually from elsewhere that he then was perhaps instructed by Jesus as well, further than that. Uh, nevertheless, so that's one thing, I, I've seen the Lord, and then he says, them, and, and more than that, aren't you evidence of my apostleship? That is, the fact that there's a church in Corinth, that there are believers in Corinth, shows that I was sent by the Lord to you to, to plant churches. So I'm an apostle. Okay, great. Now that's partly so that they are reminded that they need to actually listen to Paul, which they're tempted not to do, but as Paul mostly says that, so that he can then make the following point that he spends actually the largest section of this chapter on. So from verse 4 all the way through to verse 14, Paul is discussing one topic. And that topic is that as an apostle, he has a right to be financially supported by them. Anyone by their gospel ministry. Now, he spends a lot of time on this, and we'll, we'll consider why he does that in, in a second, but let's just quickly look at his argument here. Why, why, what's his reasoning for why every gospel worker deserves to be supported through their gospel work? Well, uh, in the fir the fir his first argument is basically, well, everyone else is doing it, <laughs> sort of. The other apostles, Cephas, that's Paul, Peter, sorry, uh, that, the Lord's brothers, uh, they're all getting supported financially, shouldn't me and Barnabas as well? Okay, then he goes on, uh, verse 7 and 8, he says basically, he argues from the way the world works, he says, well look, if a soldier doesn't soldier on his, on his own means, uh, and, a, and a farmer who's farming expects to get a reward from the, the crop or from the, the flock, and so it is with a gospel worker. He says, but 
I'm not just arguing from human ideas, look at the law. And so in verse 9, he goes on to this law, uh, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. And he says, look, that, that wasn't just about oxes. Paul understands that the way the Old Testament law is written is that there's a principle behind each of the laws um, because not every situation can be covered by the law. Now, I know it feels like when you're reading the law that every situation has been covered by the law, but that's in fact not the case. And so there's principles in each of the laws and the idea that the Jews understood and that God intended was that you were supposed to not just look at the particular law, but look at the principle behind it and apply it elsewhere. And that's what Paul is doing here. Now, it sounds like he's saying, oh, God doesn't care about oxes. Really? It was just all just to talk about this, but that's not, that's not really what he's saying. He's saying it wasn't just for the ox, it's for other like situations. And so I'm like an ox, <laughs> treading out the grain. I'm, I'm doing gospel work and I ought to be supported. That's his point. Uh, verse 12, he, he almost moves on to his next point, but then he comes back to this point in verses 13 and 14. And now he uses the image of the temple. And this actually works for the Old Testament temple system or the pagan temple system in Corinth that a priest in those temples would earn or uh, gain a living through retaining some of the food that was offered in sacrifice. That's, that's how they would eat. That's how they would survive. That's how it was in the Old Testament. That's how it was in Corinth. And so he says, uh, so it is with us, basically. And then finally, in verse 14, he says, in the same way, the Lord, that is Jesus has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And that's his conclusion. Not only all these other things, but Jesus himself has said that if you are a minister of the gospel, if you preach the gospel, you ought to receive a living from the gospel. Now, I've moved through that very quickly because, one, I don't think it's actually all that complicated. Two, it's not really Paul's main point. And three, uh, this is not an issue for us. That is, this church, and actually every church I've ever been a part of, has looked after their gospel worker, the minister, really well. We, we believe this, you see. You, you already accept this principle that a gospel worker ought to receive their uh, living from the gospel. Indeed, uh, What's really encouraging to me, and I hope to you as well, is that we as a church are so willing to invest in gospel workers, not just as ministers, but we have our apprentices and we have music ministry and we've had an outreach influence worker and so on. We've had lots of gospel workers that we support so that they can do their gospel work. And so... Great work, everyone. <laughs> this is great. I mean, we're doing well here. This is something we can read this and go, yes, we believe that and we're doing that. Isn't that great? Well, well done. So that's why we're not kind of spending too much time on this. But why does Paul so spend so much time on this? Especially since in verse 12 he says, but we did not use this right. And then in verse 15, but I have not used these, these, any of these rights. Paul's like, so... I absolutely, let me just prove it to you in 13 or so verses, I had this right for you to pay me, but I didn't use it, just so you know. Why does he do that? Well, I think one of the reasons he spends so much time on it is because uh, if he just said, I'm an apostle, uh, apostles should get paid, I didn't want to, 
it kind of would have sounded a bit weak. I mean, he has detractors in this community. Uh, he, needs to, uh, he needs to argue strongly at points and explain the reason he did things. And they could have come back to him and said, look, you're just saying that. You, you didn't ask for money when you were here because you, you felt awkward and you didn't really want any, uh, you really didn't know how to ask and you, maybe you weren't that good so you didn't deserve it anyway and so on and so on. And so they could have used it against him. But now he, he wants to be clear that he knows that he had every right to be financially supported by them, but he didn't want it. And the real kind of point of this passage is in thinking about why didn't he want it? Why, if he had this right, perfectly entitled to it, Jesus even says that gospel workers should be paid, why did he not want it? Why did he forego that right? Well, you get a hint already in, in verse 12, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul, uh, and, and he doesn't explain this, so it's hard to kind of know exactly what's going on, but um, in Paul's mind, if he had been paid for his gospel work, he would have somehow hindered the gospel ministry. How? Well, maybe uh, if he'd had one kind of patron uh, or a small group of rich patrons in the church, uh, it might have appeared as though he was at their behest, he was kind of working for them and he didn't want that, that they maybe were altering the gospel, maybe he didn't want that. Or it might have just seemed like uh, the only reason he was really there to preach this message that he was coming with was to earn money. And so people might have accused him of not speaking the truth. At least. And maybe it was some of those things, maybe it was something else entirely, we don't really know. But notice this, Paul had every right, every right to be paid, but he forgoes that in order that he might not hinder the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? I mean, life would have been a lot easier for Paul. He had to be a tent maker. That's where the phrase tent maker ministry comes from. He had to be a tent maker while he was in Corinth. He had to work long, long hours and then go out and preach the gospel. It would have been so much easier for him if he'd just willing, been willing to take the money, but he didn't, so that he didn't hinder the gospel. And it's worth already stopping, well, we're going to think about this more as we go along, but it's worth already stopping and saying to ourselves, well, what am I holding on to that might be hindering my witness to others? Now, there could be all sorts of things that we do that hinder our witness, but I suspect one thing for us as Australians that we hold particularly closely and dearly is our comfort. In fact, I've, I've actually heard had people uh, from other cultures that have come and they've mentioned to me how much Australians love comfort. Now, we don't necessarily see it because <laughs> it's just life. It's how it works. The comfort of keeping myself out of awkward and difficult conversations. The comfort of keeping myself in my little world where I can predict and know how things are going to turn out, or at least I think I do. The comfort of Netflix, rather than showing love to those around me. There's lots of different things, isn't there? And perhaps that's hindering the spread of the gospel. Well, Paul would rather 
do away with anything that will hinder the gospel. But now Paul goes on in verse 15 and he says, I'm not, I'm not mentioning this to you because I want you to suddenly send me a cheque in the mail, right? <laughs> I don't, I'm not writing this in the hope of you will do such things for me. I'm not, I, that's what he says. In fact, I would rather die than have anyone allow, to de- allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. That's an extraordinary statement, isn't it? I would rather die than, than lose whatever it is that he gets by preaching the gospel free of charge. Now, he calls it a boast. See in a second what he means by that. Now, he explains why he's saying that. Verse 16, for, for, for when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast. That's confusing. Well, we'll get there. Since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that I am preaching. That I just this, that I am preaching the gospel. I that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and not take make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. So what Paul says here is. I'm compelled to preach the gospel. If I preach the gospel and, and, my, and, and, and am paid for that, all I'm doing is carrying out the duty that I've been commanded to do. That is, that's why he says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. I, this is what I'm told to do, I have to do it. And if, I just getting, if I'm just getting paid for it, then I'm just doing what I'm told to do. But if I do it without getting paid for it, then that is a reward. That's what he says in verse 18. What is my reward? It is just this, that I preach the gospel free of charge. It's the preaching of the gospel free of charge that is in itself somehow a reward. Um, the, the argument here is a bit like if I said uh, to my child, not that I would ever have to say this to any of my children, uh, go and clean your room. Um, if they went and did that, then there's, there's no reward for that. They've just done what I told them to do. And particularly if I said, go and clean your room or you don't get to eat dinner, now maybe they might say, what's for dinner? But anyway, I mean... You, um, now, if I came home and I opened the door to my child's room and it was spotless... Not, not, an, not a, uh, any dust, you know, there's nothing on the floor, all the clothes are hanging beautifully in the cupboard, everything's nicely red. Like, if, if I walked in, now, now there is, if you like, something for them to sort of say, well, you know, look, look what I did. I, except Paul's not quite saying that. He's not saying, look, he's not, his boast is not, look how good I am because I preach the gospel free of charge. That's, that's not actually his boast. His boast is more... If, if I was to come into my child's room and they, and they said, isn't it lovely that my room is so clean? I really love being here in this place. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, where do I want to be? I want to be in the place where I'm preaching the gospel free of charge. That's his boast. It's, it, what he means by boast is, this is what I'm excited about. This is what I want to tell you about. 
This is what's so great. And that's why he calls it his reward. This, this place of being able to preach the gospel free of charge is really good place for him to be. Why? Well, we've already heard that it doesn't hinder the gospel, but, but there's something else here as well. And, and he gets to that in the next paragraph. And you can kind of summarise the next paragraph by reading the, the beginning and the end. Though, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings. Now notice now, instead of talking about a reward, he's talking about sharing in the blessings, which as I said at the beginning is not that he is going to be saved because if that's what he meant to share in the blessings meant to just have salvation, what he'd be saying here is, if I preach the gospel and get paid, I don't get saved, and if I preach the gospel free of charge, then I do get saved. Now, I think we can assume that that's not what Paul's saying, right? So, the blessings of the gospel have to be something else, and it is something else. It's this boast, it's this reward, and it is what comes down uh, in verse 27, what he talks about as the prize. Well, why... Why is the life described in verses 19 to 23, why is that such a good place to be? Now, it includes not accepting money for preaching, but it, now it goes broader than that. Why is that such a good place to be? What is the reward in that lifestyle? Well, let's look at it. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew. That is, when I'm hanging around Jews... I, I abide by their customs. And, and then he says, to those under the law, I became as one under the law. So when I'm with the Jews, I, I, I act as though I'm under the law. You, you can see this in Acts. I, can't, I didn't actually note the chapter, sorry. Uh, at one stage, Paul in Acts, he goes off to Jerusalem uh, to offer a sacrifice at the temple, which he didn't have to do because he knows that Christ is the ultimate sacrifice. And before he goes to do that, he purifies himself with all the washings and everything. He goes through the whole ritual. Again, he didn't have to do that because Christ, uh, Paul knows that he has been washed pure and clean through the blood of Christ. That All of those washings in the Old Testament just pointed to that. So he knows he's clean, but he does it anyway. That's what he means by, though I myself am not under the law. He's not under the law, he's under Christ. But he does it so that there might not be any hindrance, any stumbling block as he seeks to bring the gospel to the Jews and to those under the law. Then he says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. That is, when he hung out with the Gentiles, he, he put aside all that Jewish tradition and law. He didn't sin still. He says, I, I'm, still, I'm still under Jesus. <laughs> but he puts aside all the ritual laws and the purity laws and the food laws and the cleansing laws, so when Paul went to the Gentiles' house, he probably asked for a second helping of bacon, right? Yes, I'll have bacon with my eggs. That's fantastic. Let's do this. Can I come back again tomorrow? I have to hang out with the Jews after that. So I just need a little extra bacon. Let's, that, that's what he was doing. And he did that so that he could bring the gospel. Nothing to do with personal preference, 
to the weak, he says, I became weak so that I might win the weak. And that, that's, that was last week. To those tempted by idolatry, to those uh, whose consciences were, were, were weak, he, he fitted himself to them so that they, he might win them, so he might bring the gospel to them and grow them in the gospel. And Paul is saying that way of life is a reward. That way of life allows you to share in the blessing of the gospel. How does that work? Well, in, we, we have some insight in Philippians chapter 2, because there Paul says this. Sorry, Philippians chapter 3. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ, has, Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which, Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says there, I want to know Christ. And how does he talk about coming to know Christ? By sharing in his sufferings, by becoming like him in his death. In other words, by walking in the footsteps of Christ. You see, because as Paul puts aside his own preferences, his own desires, his own likes and dislikes, his own comfort. His, as he puts all of that aside so that he might become all things to all people that he might save some, he walks in the footsteps of Christ. He lives a life like Christ worked, lived. Don't you see? Who, who does that? Who does chapter 19... Uh, sorry, verse 19 to 23 sound like? It sounds like Jesus, who, though he was God, came to earth. He didn't just, as a, as a Jew, become like a Gentile. He, as God, became like a human being. He stepped into our world and, and lived for us. And so when Paul bends himself for the sake of taking the gospel to others, he walks in Jesus' footsteps. He lives like Jesus does, and as he does that, he comes to know Jesus better. When he shares in Christ's sufferings, when he becomes like Jesus in his death, that is, he lives sacrificially for others, he comes to know what Jesus is like. And yes, even when he, he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection... What is he talking about there? I think what he's saying is, uh, if you look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, uh, where Paul says, Christ, who, who was in very nature God, uh, gave that up and became a human. And, and it says at the end of that section, and therefore God exalted him. God, God exalts those who humble themselves. And, and Paul is saying, as I humble myself and, and, bring, and do what it takes to bring the gospel to people, I experience God lifting me up 
I suspect especially as God brings people to salvation through him. He experiences the joy that Christ experienced when he saved us through the cross. And so Paul is saying, what is my prize? Why is it I am so desperate not to be paid? Why is it that I am so keen? Why is that my reward that I, that I become a Jew to the Jews and a Gentile to the Gentiles and a weak to the weak and so on? Why is it I'm so keen to do that? Because when I do that, I walk in Jesus' footsteps and therefore I come to know Jesus better and better and better. Not just know about Jesus, but experience what Jesus experienced, even just to a tiny degree, so that I know him better, I understand him better, and I understand his love for me more. To put it another way, or put it the negative way, if we grasp onto our comfort and our desires and our wants, things that we have every right to, just as Paul had the right here, when we grasp onto those things, rather than becoming all things to all people in order that we might bring the gospel to them. When we grasp onto those things, we rob ourselves of the potential enjoyment that we could have of Jesus Christ. We rob ourselves of enjoying Jesus as deeply as we might because we refuse to walk in his footsteps. Now, That's very difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's an understatement. It is extraordinarily difficult to do what Paul is saying here, to become all things to all people, to put ourselves aside, sacrificially love other people in the hope of bringing the gospel to them in the best way possible. And that, that's really hard. And so it's not surprising that Paul compares this life to the life of an athlete. Now, you can read verse 24 and kind of get a bit confused or worried because it says, don't you know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get a prize. You can't go, hang on a minute, there's only one prize? No, no, that's not the point of comparison. The point of comparison here is between the discipline of an athlete and the discipline in our life. And what he's saying in that verse is, an athlete knows there is only one prize. If you're going to go to the Olympic Games, there is only one gold medal, right? It's not just all participation trophies when you go to the, the Olympic Games. It's, there's a gold medal and then there's first loser, silver. So if you want the gold medal, you have to work really, really hard. You have to. That's the only way to get there. And it's not that there's only one prize that Paul's talking about, but this prize is way better. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The prize that we're running for, if you will, is so good, even though there's a prize for everyone, it's so good that you want to run and be self, as self-disciplined as you possibly can be. And that's Paul's point. Now, he says at the end there, I, I, run, I, I, I beat a blow to my body, strike a blow to my body, make it my slave so that after having preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. Is Paul saying that if he was a bad preacher in some way or another, that he would miss out on heaven? No. No, he, he says in enough other places that 
that our salvation depends on Christ and Christ alone. And, and indeed, in that passage in Philippians, he talked about having been called heavenward by Christ. Nevertheless, if someone said to you, well, I'm really hoping to compete at the next Olympics, and you went to their house or you got, got to know them, and they were a couch potato, essentially, right? They just didn't do anything. They watched TV, they played computer games, they ate really unhealthy food, they really didn't move around much, and they said to you, but I'm really, I'm like super keen to get the gold medal in the 100 metres, you would say, um, there's something wrong here, right? You, you, don't, you don't know what the prize is, you obviously don't really care that much about the prize, and you kind of don't know how to get there. And so it is, if someone says to you, well, I love Jesus and I just w love him so much and I want to know him and so on, and yet they, they never do anything. They never do anything to grow closer to Jesus. They don't talk to Jesus. They don't spend time in his word. They don't spend time with his people. You would say, well, I, I don't know what Jesus you, you're talking about because you don't seem to actually care about him at all. Well, that's what, that's what Paul is saying here. But he's also saying that if you really want to enjoy this prize, this prize of coming to know Jesus as you walk in his footsteps, you have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined like an athlete. That's the only way to do it. And to the extent that you are disciplined like an athlete, you will enjoy this prize. You're not going to run all over the place. You're going to beat the air uh, in a crazy fashion. It's, activity is not the point. The point is to be focused on the prize. And the prize is Christ and knowing Christ. And how do you come to know Christ? Well, you come to know, of course, through his word and through prayer. But in this passage, you come to know Christ as you walk in his footsteps. As you walk in his footsteps as you live sacrificially for Christ in seeking to bring the gospel to people. That's how you come to know Christ, as you experience the world, in a sense, as Christ experienced it by living sacrificially. Now, we're not all apostles to the Gentiles. In fact, there are zero apostles to the Gentiles in this room right now. Uh, because there was only one apostle to the Gentiles, and that was Paul. But this doesn't depend on being an apostle to the Gentiles. I think in many ways, Paul probably experienced Christ and he's understood Christ more than any of us ever will because of what he did for Christ. Uh, and in, in that sense, I think that's why Paul is so, though he suffers so much, he's so pleased that Paul, Christ Paul called him to this ministry. Nevertheless, all of us, in all the different things that we do, in all the different roles we have in life, in all the different callings, if you like, that we have in life, whether it's, and that changes over time, whether it's to be a mother or a father or a, a teacher or a a business owner or a tradesperson or an office worker or a student or a retired person or whatever it is, wherever you are in life, we can still do this. Maybe not to the extent that Paul did. 
But we can do this. We can walk in the footsteps of Jesus and love people sacrificially for the sake of the gospel, whether it's to grow them in the gospel or it's to bring them to Christ in the first place, and we can experience the joy of seeing that happen. We can do that as a parent as we reach out to our children time and again with the gospel, though perhaps they don't want to hear it. We can do it as we live such good lives at our workplaces that people want to know Christ living in us and as we bend ourselves to them in, in good ways so that they might see our love for them. We can do it when we serve at church. We can do it when we turn up and play music even though we were tired and didn't want to do it. We can do it. Like, you can just go on and on. You can do it if you're, if you, when you visit your loved one or your friend uh, in the dementia ward day after day after day and you encourage them in the truth of the gospel though they kind of don't really remember all that much anymore. You see, there's so many different ways that we can time and time again give ourselves, put our preferences aside for the sake of other people and their growth in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what you do. You don't have to be an apostle. And here's here's the wonderful truth. We do this, I hope, because we've seen Christ and we've seen his love and we've understood at least in some small way the incredible sacrifice that he made for us so never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross that's what we sung right that's that's true but we understand it a bit and as we do this as we suffer for the sake of others we gain a slightly deeper understanding of the love of Christ for us. Wow, <laughs> no, that was hard. How much harder was the cross? How much must he love me? And then we do it some more and we say, wow, that was even harder than last time. It's, it's hard to keep bending myself to others for the sake of... I can't believe Jesus came to earth became a human. He left the glory of heaven. Wow. Jesus must love me so much. You see, as as we walk in Jesus' footsteps, we come to a deeper and deeper understanding of his incredible love for us. As we experience in small part what he did for us, we come to know how much he loves us. And so... We train ourselves like an athlete because we've seen how awesome the prize is to come to know, to come to feel and experience how deeply our loving Saviour has loved us and continues to love us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, we, we cannot fathom how much you love us, how much it cost you to send your son into the world and how much it cost him to stay on that cross, to bear our sins and pay the price that we deserve to pay. 
And yet, we thank you that we can come to know that as we walk in his footsteps, as we seek to love those around us as he has loved us, that we can increasingly come to a deep sense of the wonder and love of Christ. And we pray, Father, that by your Spirit you would enable us to do just that, that you would enable us to love as Christ has loved us, so that we might stand in awe of his love and so love all the more. What a prize to know the living God. And we ask that you would help us to know you more and more each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.